Hey there, it's Melinda from Hope When There Was None. I am a survivor of both childhood abuse and later domestic violence. I've been free since 2009 and have been sharing my story and much recently sharing stories from others in order to inspire, empower, and educate. So if you found any value in any of these episodes, please do me a favor and share. Maybe somebody needs a dose of positivity to know that they're not alone. My goal is to break open the darkness and to let there be light. Have a great rest of your day and thanks for tuning in. Bye. Because, well, I had more to say. Hi, Facebook. I had more to say. I kind of feel like I left off, but I know it was really long yesterday. There's a lot to talk about when you're talking about someone's life, when you're talking about abuse. So I had to come on again. It was really pressing on my heart. I even thought about yesterday. Maybe I should go back on. No, I decided to come back on today. And thank you for those that have watched the broadcast the live broadcast, those for Mike and uh, Kim on YouTube that had um, made a comment and Kim had shared some beautiful, a beautiful poem. I do want to say for whoever's out there watching, I don't, if you see me smiling or laughing during any of this broadcast, previous broadcast, it's not because I take abuse lightly. No one made a comment, okay? Early on when I started sharing, when I had my very first interview, somebody had made a comment that it looks like we were just joking about this. And by any stretch of the imagination, I do not take what I experience or what anybody else experienced lightly. So just going forward right now, uh, there are things I want to talk about. You know what, this is really bright. Let me turn this one off. Oh no, I'm good. So I wanted to talk about some misconceptions that I had me after leaving. So when I left, I had a bunch of things I want to talk about. So misconceptions, uh, the abuse uh, after leaving, uh, legal abuse, uh, what else? Um, around healing, telling my story, becoming that advocate, writing, and where I am now. So leaving, after leaving, this is my misconception, after leaving, I, I assumed in my mind, okay, again, why does she stay? Why does he stay in that abusive relationship? I cannot begin to tell you what a personal decision it is for each and every person out there to stay in that abusive relationship. Now, some of the relationships, as I've come along in my journey, I've learned sometimes we have no choice. What do I mean by that? You're a child. You're under 18, under 16. Some states are different. Some countries are different. You don't have a choice but to stay with that person. You might catch somebody that's a runaway. Somebody might take suicide as a way out. They go into drugs, drinking, alcohol. Even as adults, we do do these things in order to cope, whether it's food. For me, food. I've mentioned that before. I've been transparent. These are things that people do use as a way and means to self-soothe, to calm themselves, use sex. Again, I was craving love. I was looking for a trigger warning in advance, just in case. I should have said that right off the bat. Uh, this is unscripted. I, again, I do have some notes, but just about things I wanted to cover. Um, so what I thought would happen is everything would be fine after I left. The abuse would stop. You know, stop laughing. But this is what I thought. I had no, no idea what? There's no handbook for this. After you leave, every situation of abuse is different. Again, you might be a child that is in a toxic relationship right now. You can't get out of it. Maybe you've been trafficked. I don't know what the situation is for you. It could be that you are in a religious mindset that I can't leave because of what 
the Bible says, or whatever that looks like for you, for your religious beliefs. It could be if you are, there are in some countries, if a woman leaves, I mean, you can't even ask for divorce. You know, you might be accused as being an adulteress and that could be death. So there are different reasons why we stay. And again, it's very personal. They might not, you might not understand. You might not be able to rationalize why a person stays, why they're being beaten, why they're being called names. Why would a person want to stay? Hello, why? I didn't want to stay in that. Nobody wants to be abused. There's no person on this earth right now that wants to be mistreated. I mean, do you honestly? I know you don't. So for those that are that victim shame, and you see this not only with abuse, but, you know, um, there was a runner, unfortunately, she lost her life. And um, it was earlier, I think earlier this year, or late last year, and people commented on how she dressed. People commented, well, she shouldn't have been alone at that hour. Well, where do we draw the line? Yes, I'm married, but that doesn't give a person the permission to beat on me. Yes, I'm a parent, but that doesn't give that parent, not me, but just it doesn't give that parent permission to beat a child with a wire hanger or to beat them and um, you know turn them upside down. There's horrific stories out there. I'm a CASA advocate, but I'm also somebody that, again, I, I have people that share information with me. They share me stories and the stories that are heartbreaking that, you know, these children being beaten, being starved. Um, there was a story where there was a child hung upside down. He was in my area. He was one of my friends, my son's friends in school, in grade school, really young. They hung him upside down. They beat him with electrical wires. They starved him. He was made to go into a cage. Now, this also brings to question. There's a lot of people that are like, well, where's your God? I'm not even going to get into that. But there's a lot of horrific things and reasons people cannot escape. Now, did those people need to be hugged? I don't know. There's some people that are just evil. There's some people that are just mean. We all have free will. You know what's right or wrong. You know that you shouldn't steal. You know that you shouldn't lay a hand on, on your child or on your person. But there are some people that do this and they get gratification out of this. They get some pleasure out of this or whatever that looks like for them. My ex used to get excited, if you know what I mean, wink, wink, by choking me. There are people that get excited. They get off on this. And then you, you see this in crime and so on. I'm getting off base here. But my misconception is after I left my abuser, the abuse would stop. I thought it would be done. Nothing else is going to happen. I was so wrong. The abuse escalated. Now, I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but I didn't know afterwards that there is a heightened escalation of abuse it's most vulnerable time for a victim is after she or he leaves the abuser within 48 to 72 hours. That is the most vulnerable time for a person because the escalation, again, this person wants to get them back. They'll be upset. They'll be mad because they're not coming back. There's all kinds of threats. And we see this time and time again in news stories. We do see this. This is something that happens. And all of you, I'm sure, have heard something. So that was my misconception. But I also thought, I didn't even, I should say, I didn't give any thought to my children after this. And why I'm looking both ways, by the way, I'm on IG, I'm on Facebook. So if you see me looking both ways, that's why, not to be weird. I also have my notes off to the side. So with my children, I hadn't given, it's not that I didn't 
think about my kids because I did. I didn't give them any thought that um, I thought we would all be fine afterwards. I didn't see more of a spiral with them, with depression. Later on, it became self-harm, suicidal thoughts. Um, they were always good in school. At least my, my girls were always good in school. My son struggled, my older son. Um, but I didn't notice, even when they were in school, like he would be fighting in school. A lot of times he was bullied, my eldest son. And uh, he was also giving things away to be a people pleaser. I didn't recognize that either. So things I didn't recognize, I didn't realize. I had no idea. And this was like in the, I don't want to say the infancy of the web. I didn't know how to search I didn't know how to look. So right now, thank goodness, we have all these wonderful tools, all great information out there to help teach you. But when you're in an abusive relationship, sometimes you just think that this is what it is. Life is what it is. If you grew up in this kind of relationship, this is all there is. This is all you've known. This finding that bad boy, that bad relationship for me, discarding the good guys was because I was gravitating to things I was comfortable with. I knew that. I knew, even though even though I knew that this was not good for me, it wasn't healthy. I, I wasn't really sure what healthy looked like, but I knew something was not right with the relationship. I knew it. I knew, like I said before, my first video, I knew that I wanted the hand-holding. I knew I wanted somebody to, to give me smooches. I didn't want put-downs. I didn't think there'd be name-calling. I didn't want somebody to be putting their hands on me all the time. I knew they had to be out there because I saw people on the street. Yes, people have issues. There's a lot of skeletons in people's closets. And I did learn that when I first told one of my friends, she shared with me things that her boys, he, her husband did not abuse her but abuse the kids secretly. And so she was able to find that out. But things do happen in other people's houses. It's not always rosy. We all have our secrets. But I knew that there had to be something called a healthy relationship out there. So that's what I was striving for. I was doing the work even before I left my ex. I was making lists of what and fantasizing or daydreaming what I wanted my life to be. What would it be without an abuser? What could it look like? And I would get excited. It would make me happy. And I just couldn't wait for that time where I would be free. So when that misconception, when I thought, well, what is this? I'm gone. How come I'm not getting unicorns and rainbows and nothing, no glitter? It's hard. It's rough. I have to worry about putting food on the table for these children. He's not giving me money. I have to find a job. I'm, uh, he's going to want this car back. He's complaining about the car. I can't afford gas. So none of those things were in my ideas. I did plan a little bit, but I didn't always plan. I didn't plan for some of the, the feelings, some of the intensity that I would feel after I left. Some of the roadblocks, roadblocks would be him still abusing me, the stalking, the, the murder for hire. Um, later on, he was planning on kidnapping me, um, having someone kidnap me. There were things I, I didn't, you know, it's like, where is Jerry Springer? He's got me around here somewhere. That's the way I felt. I just thought this cannot be real. I, could, I couldn't even imagine the feelings that I was feeling. And again, my kids, seeing them crumble, I felt horrible. I felt horrible for keeping them where they were. Now, my reasons for staying, again, I mentioned I had health issues, health insurance, Again, I had no job. Where was I going? The job I had was not for payment. I, I wasn't getting paid. I was 
managing an antique shop and with his family and him, we weren't paying ourselves because we were just barely scraping by. And so I wasn't getting, I had no paycheck. So how, you know, what was I going to do? How was I going to make it? I just, it was mind blowing. It was very intense. I cried. It was very ugly. My healing journey that point at that point was very messy. It was very ugly. I didn't want to do a lot of it. I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to stay where I was. And I even thought about going back. I had already done that before, twice in 2007. So I thought, well, you know what? He's saying all the right things again. Oh, he's starting to suck me back or who, what they call hoovering. A person might hoover you back, you know, give you the same old, we'd go in these cycles. Okay. We'd be in these cycles where he loved me. He missed me. I'll take you back. I'm sorry. I'll change. And then the next minute would be angry. You witch, you C word. And he would call me names. And then I'd be like, oh, okay, this is why I left you. <laughs> I'll click. This is why I left you. But we would spiral like this. And at those hard times where I'm looking for an apartment, I can't afford, I think at the apartments I was looking at between 1600 to two grand to get an apartment, a two bedroom apartment. Um, and I'm in Indiana, by the way, before anybody mentions how much that is in their area. So I'm in Indiana. I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I could not afford that. And then my ex decided I did find an apartment. I let him know because he was actually watching the kids for me. I know that's another story, but he was watching the kids for about a month or two while I found a place to, to stay at. And he offered to give my, um, my first month's rent because I had just gotten a job like a few weeks before. He's like, I'll give you that first month's rent and that deposit that you need. So I think it was 1600, 1700, something like that. And I was leery. But I was so desperate. Somebody else, in my desperation, I did give this thought. Now I have, before I say any more, and some of you might have already heard the story before, I have standards. I have morals. Sometimes they're low, but I do have them. I befriended somebody at the attorney's office that I was at. Somebody that was in, he shared with me, actually, we are now, many of us are familiar with being groomed. He was grooming me. He was grooming me and he was in the BDSM lifestyle. Well, he offered me, I think it was $1,800 or $1,600, whatever it was I needed and a little more to date me. He's like, well, how about for one night with you? I will give you that amount of money. Now, I know I already told the story to Miss Austin. He's like, you know, no, I don't know if it's like, thanks, honey. He's like, I don't know if it was worth that much. He's <laughs> like, thanks, babe. But reflecting back, I told him about that afterwards. Um, that looked good. That sounded good. It's like, okay. And you know, what were the strings? He's like, well, anything goes. So anything might happen. All right. No. I said, no, I can't do that. So that would make me mm, a whore. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I am, I hung up the phone with him kind of in disbelief, but at the same time, like, you know what, Lord, thank you. Thank you for something. It just seemed off. Something wasn't right about him anyway. It just was having my, my feelings going off my spidey senses. And I really knew I needed just to trust God. He kept telling me to be patient. And uh, a lot of times I would go back in the world. Let's just say that. 
I would go into the worldly way of thinking and worldly way of doing things. And I knew I needed to lean on him even more. So I did. I did. And again, my ex, like a few days later, offered to go ahead and do that down payment for me for that apartment. I thought, hmm, something's not right. He did go to the apartment management office. He did put that money down for me. He did. A week later, he canceled the check. They hadn't cashed it yet. He canceled the check. I'm scrambling. I am just moving in because they have the down payment. I'm moving in. And uh, then the lady from the, the office just like, I'm sorry, your check has been canceled. It's like, what? Now, if I go back to him, he's telling me, oh, it was just a misunderstanding. I'll write you out a new check. But, you know, why don't you come here? We have a big enough house. You can live upstairs. I'll just stay in the basement. It was a finished basement. He goes, I'll just stay down here. I have a bathroom down here. We'll figure it out for meals. And, you know, we'll just work it out. I could not do that. I was not going to go back into the lion's den again. I was not going to do that. I said, no. Mr. Awesome, Terry, he went ahead. We had just started dating. I, he heard, he actually, I think, stopped in by accident. He saw me crying. I was at work. And he's like, what's going on? I told him he paid. <laughs> he went to the office. He paid. He's like, it's done. You don't have to worry about, I won't say the words that he used. He goes, you don't have to worry about that. Let's just leave it at that. He paid. I was able to get in there, long story short. But again, the misconceptions. He was sneaky. My ex was sneaky. He would tell me one thing, then do something entirely different. He would offer to give me the shirt off his back, but there would be strings. Always, there was always strings. Now that I look back, always something. You don't get something for nothing. So the misconceptions that friends and family that I thought had my back were mad at me because I didn't tell them that the abuse was still going on. Many of them, and even some people in my family, not close, were and still are sharing information with him. And um, I keep my circle pretty tight. I don't share with everybody. I share quite a bit in the Survivor's Cafe with my ladies there. Um, but still, there's about six people off the top of my head, including Mr. Awesome, that I share information with that's very personal, that um, is about abuse or something irrelevant about abuse so just that's going on in my life right now. So make sure you keep your circle tight. Also, going back to the kids, monitor your children. That's the most important thing. Monitor your children. See what their moods are. I had to get mine evaluated at different points in time for suicide watch for the cutting and for depression. Like my youngest daughter who still lives with us, she is on meds, medication. And uh, I'm getting weepy. Um, so just please monitor your children, look for those dips and their schoolwork. If you don't homeschool, look for those dips. If they have to have visitation with that parent, that toxic parent, make sure you're listing any emotional changes, any physical changes. Now, I don't want this to be like a witch hunt and you say, oh, there's a little dot there, that's a bruise. No, kids get are messy, they fall, things happen. But you know what I'm talking about. Just be mindful of that. And sometimes though, I'm gonna get to legal land, the misconceptions about legal land. Let's talk about that. You take that information to that attorney or the court, that, a court, that court system can Twist it around where you, being the victim, 
are making up things. You are after that person, that abuser or alleged abuser that, or, you know, you're making up stories. They don't believe you. The police might not believe you. They, your attorney who you think is in on your side is not, they're not taking your calls. It's a very frustrating, a very irritating, it can be a very heartbreaking period of time. Now telling you all of this, or even my story yesterday, does not mean that I want you to stay planted in an abusive relationship. This is my story. Everybody's story looks different. I've talked to some people and they were divorced within a couple months and they were fine. They're dealing with the child supervision. It's a little different than, of course, my story. Everybody's is different and they were fine. And so the person that was the abuser just abused mom or just abused dad and the kids are fine. So it looks different for everybody. They were able to get everything 50-50 and whatever else. Mine was very messy. There's others out there that are very messy. I did have what we call DCS. The DCS is Department of Children and Family Services out here, DCFS. And uh, it's different. At CPS and some other places. It's different in different places. I did have them in, in my case early on. So they were called. Um, that's another story as well. Of course, all the charges were dropped. Investigation, it was dropped. So I've been there. I understand that, that, that scariness that someone's going to take your children away. I know I've been there. But that getting into the legal part of it, that was mind blowing to me. If you don't, I was pro se for at least 75%, not tooting my own horn, of my divorce and separation because I couldn't afford anybody. There are pro bono doctors, doctors, attorneys out there. There are pro bono attorneys out there. You have to contact your bar association. It does go on a case-by-case -case basis. It also goes on um, your, your need. So if you are financially in a place where you are, let's say you're on food stamps, you are uh, barely making things. I don't know what the, don't ask me, I don't know what it is. Um, but if you're barely making it, maybe you're not making more than 20 grand a year. And I was making a lot less than that. So I qualified, I qualified. It is a process. So if you're thinking about starting or if you're just getting started right now, you don't have an attorney, get your name on the list. Call your local bar association for and ask, I need a pro bono attorney. Where can I turn to? And they should be able to direct you. Now, and they are some, the one I had was just wonderful. He really was. Now, if you are, um, excuse me, also, um, I talked about my circle. I talked about that, about the legal thing. Write everything down. Leave a paper trail. Write down the notes that you, whoever you talk to, attorney, attorneys, get badge numbers for police, have your protective orders. Don't be afraid to do protective orders. Is this going to make that person mad? Yes. Did I feel flustered because he violated his protective orders a gazillion times? Yes. I was very angry because it's like, why am I bothering? I'm getting reprimanded by court. The magistrate's down on me because, and I'm following the letter of the law. He's not. He's still harassing me. He's still stalking me and yada, yada, yada. He's still being abusive to the kids. And how come I'm the one that was, I really felt very vulnerable and very prosecuted, persecuted. 
My case though turned out in my favor. I didn't do a lot of visitations out there with him. When I asked my then attorney about visitations, because we did do supervised visitation, there was a point in time where he threatened to, if she gets custody of these children, I will make it look like they've had an accident. Okay, air quotes. They've had an accident. They'll come over for an overnighter. No one will know. It'll look like an accident. He's told that to his mom and other family members. He told that to me. There was once where, and somebody might have heard this already, where he threatened to slit the kids' throats if I was to get custody of them, full custody of them. My daughter heard this during a supervised visit at his mom's house, which is another story. I'm, I'm going to chime in my thoughts on that. She was scared enough but brave enough to call the police. The police were called. I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't there. If you give your abuser enough space or they say enough rope, their true colors can show. Sometimes it means you need to be quiet. Because I know there are a lot of times I look like a crazy woman in court. That's why I tell, when I tell people now, it's like, please try and be as calm as you can. But you don't want to be stony faced. You want to show emotion, but you don't want to be all wild and crazy like mama bear or daddy bear. You just, there is a fine line. There is. And make sure you reach out to your attorney. Now, um, just be careful. Legal land is very tricky. It can be very messy. There are many people that have lost their children. And I've seen why they've lost children. It's not that they're a bad parent. They're a beautiful parent. They're a beautiful parent. And they are over-emotional. They can be over-emotional. They can be not listening to what the court says. They could be, they could have an attorney that's just really crappy, that doesn't have their back, and they're refusing to switch attorneys. You are allowed to switch an attorney if you don't feel that this person is working for you. You can, you can do that. You can even ask for a different GAL, that's a guardian ad litem. They are an advocate for the kids, like a CASA. Um, a CASA is a advocate for the kids as well. And you can ask for a different one, okay? That's your that's your prerogative. You can do that. Keep good notes. Make sure you you show up at court wearing not you don't have to look professional, but don't show up in torn jeans. You know, maybe you got a lot of piercings. Take off some of the piercings just for the day. Okay. Just look presentable. Um, don't show up in, in a ripped t-shirt and a heavy metal t-shirt or whatever it is. You know, tame the hair a little bit, just look more presentable. That's all I'm gonna say. The court does look at our appearance. Unfortunately, it does look at our appearance. Don't be chewing gum. Don't be snapping gum. Just look presentable. You want to give some respect to the court, the magistrate, or the judge, even if they're, even if you're not very happy with their decisions. You still have to give them some consideration and some respect. There are many times I went to court and we would get a substitute magistrate. Well, the substitute magistrate wasn't up to speed on our case. One time my case, the, the case file got lost. They had no idea what they were doing. And then my ex at that point in time was granted super, unsupervised visits. Oh my gosh, my heart went in my throat. I was ready to throw up right there. I was 
so angry at that moment in time. Oh, I was I was mad. We were able to get it to where it didn't happen. But going forward, I didn't. And when I asked my attorney at uh, the last time we actually had court, what about visitation? He's asking for visitation. His attorney is asking for visitation. Well, we can't trust him because of all the threats. So I asked, well, what are we going to do? Do we find a new supervised visitation? My attorney went like this. I said, yeah, but what? I took that as a sign that we aren't going to discuss him seeing these kids because he's made it abundantly clear that they're not safe. He's made it clear that these girls are not going to be safe. Unfortunately, I couldn't do anything for my son. I was trying in the background to get somebody on his side or my side to take him, you know, this 13-year-old boy, this precious boy, and I couldn't find anybody that didn't have cats. Um, I was going to have it with my mom and dad, but they're up there in age. I don't know if they could handle him at that present time. There was a lot of anger and a lot of going back to the kids. My ex turned, it's called parental alienation, and it happens where a parent will turn your children against them, against you. They'll buy them presents. They might say, you know, um, my middle daughter just says, she goes, I know, I heard dad pulling Matt aside. He would tell him secrets. You know, I got to tell Matt something. And I would hear him bad mouthing you, saying different things to get Matt angry. And these are things that they would do. The kids would come in the car with me after, before all the other crap. When in the very early stages, when the, he was allowed visitation, the kids would be like evil. That weekend would roll around that Monday or Sunday when I would pick them up. They were like possessed. I swore they were possessed. They were so mean and so hateful. And they, and even my daughter now, she goes, I don't know why I felt like I hated you. And I don't know why, except that dad told us these things. So watch your children, be gentle, be cautious with them. We were also in counseling. Therapy sucks. Counseling sucks. If you do not have the right person. If you are given a court-appointed therapist or counselor, sometimes you're at that mercy. You do not know. Um, you do not have much of a choice. Sorry, I'm trying to see where my time is. If you um, have a choice, so you can change your, your counselor, your therapist. You can find a different therapist, one that's hopefully trauma-informed, that understands you. And if they don't, you do have the power within you to, to tell that person, I'm sorry, you're fired. You are allowed to do that. Just like with the attorneys, you can fire that person, okay? Just so you know. See, I didn't know this stuff when I was going into this. I didn't know I could, like even my doctor, I didn't know I could fire my doctor. I didn't know I could just stop seeing him, you know? It just, it was weird to me. So those revelations are things that I'm talking about. Now, it was hard for me during that messy healing and so on to find relationships again. I had people that I wasn't sure of. Supposedly he was getting information from my family members, close friends. So I had to start pairing, powering down my friend list, who I was telling information to. I also had to just be mindful. Okay. So we're going to start this. Um, I'm going to tell this person this and then see where it goes. And I would do that. And then I finally narrowed it down to who it was. And it was somebody like so far removed that I hardly ever talked to like, really? It's you? Well, anyway, so just watch who you're talking to. Like even my in-laws, God bless them. I only, I think I have one on my friend list right now. 
no, maybe two. And the rest, we don't talk. And you know what? It's better that way because he was very threatening If um, like to his mom and dad. They are, they've passed away since then. Uh, he threatened to burn down their house if they continue to have a conversation with me and a relationship with me and uh, even Terry because we went over as a couple um, to dinner with them. They were, they were like, we, we like him a lot better than our own son. Well, he... My ex is not happy with that. So we just distance ourselves from a lot. I, I cut off a lot of family and friends, not because I thought they were flying monkeys, which is a person that's supporting that abuser. They are going and telling that abuser different information. I cut off several relationships, and I'm really sad that I did this because I feared for them. Uh, one of my good friends out of the church that I was at, he, my ex would... Um, would kind of pressure her and made her feel very uncomfortable was trying to always get inflammation out of her. And she felt very, um, she didn't feel safe. Uh, he was asked, he was talked to, and I think they asked him to leave the church. But anyway, I kind of severed that kind of that relationship with her for her own safety. I didn't want anything to come of that. And I, again, I do regret that to this day because she's, I laugh with her. She was just so, such a sweetheart, such a sweet lady. So Maria, if you're watching this, I miss you. She's since moved. So relationships and then finding love. I've got Mr. Awesome. Somebody like, well, you have Mr. Awesome. It seemed like right off the bat. Well, it did take some, it took a while. Again, you heard about the guy that um, was offering me money. I was on different dating sites looking for somebody because I, again, I was still craving that love. I was looking for that. Um, I was looking for love outside rather than looking for love inside. I've learned to love myself since then. I don't need to to love, I have that approval outside. I don't, I don't need to. I don't care what anybody thinks of me anymore. I don't, I don't, because I know I have an inner love. I know I have that, that God love too. So I'm good. <laughs> I, looking at that, I had to start learning what did I want from a person? What did I want? So I wrote a list down of all the, maybe it's vain of me. I don't care. I wrote everything I wanted down in a person. I wrote down over a hundred things that I wanted in a person or I wanted them. I don't want to say expect. I wanted them to maybe do for me, run a bubble bath, hold my hand without complaining. I wanted somebody that would um, make me meals do dinner, do lunch, or go out spontaneously, laugh, love my children, of course, take me with everything as I am. I wanted somebody that was going to love kids and be love animals and so on, non-smoker. Um, I wanted someone taller than me, not skinny. I didn't want anyone skinnier than me. It had to be taller or my height. Um, yeah, and it, maybe it, it did get into a little vanity. He had to have hair. Though some bald men, guys that shave their heads, are like, hmm. <laughs> I didn't. Um, I wanted somebody that was um, just, I'm a sucker for blue eyes. Okay, I'm getting it out there now. I'm a sucker for blue eyes. Um, so he had to look a certain way for me. He had to be, and I wanted somebody that was also going to love God with all his heart. So these are just a few of the handful of things. And I want you, if you're looking for love out there, I want you to maybe write a list yourself. What does Mr. Wonderful or Mr. Awesome look like to you or Mrs. 
future Miss Awesome, what is she going to look like to you? Write it down. Does she have big feet? Does she have mustache? I know I got to pluck every once in a while, you know, chin hairs. What does this person look like? What is their age? I actually did this list before I left my ex. In my mind, I was creating another another life for myself. If I were to ever get into a relationship, what would that person look like? What would they be like? And, you know, I allowed myself to fantasize and daydream about not only that person, but again, my life. What would my life look like without abuse? And that's where I left. I let it go. And that's what would keep me going from time to time. I even asked my kids that one time. It was a couple years before I left him the first time in 2007. Like, you know, what do you think an ideal dad looks like? I didn't say, what would you like your dad to be like? Oh, they wanted a dad that would take them camping. They wanted somebody that would yell at them, that wouldn't pull their hair. They wanted, and I'm getting choked up. They wanted somebody that would um, show, um, give hugs and um, would talk to them and not be mean. These were things that they wanted. And it just, I started crying in the car. It broke my heart. And because I knew about 2006, 2005, 2006, even before I left him the first time, that I just wanted something different. I didn't want this life anymore. I knew God didn't have this in his plans. I knew a relationship could not be based on abuse. I knew it. I just had it in my heart that this is not what God had for me, for that marriage, for that relationship with another person, a person that's supposed to love you and honor you and cherish you. It doesn't look like this. It doesn't look like the person kicking you out of bed, making you sleep on the floor naked. It doesn't look like a person choking you, holding a knife to your throat, pushing you out of the house in the wintertime when you've got just a nightgown on and locking you out. It doesn't look like someone not trusting you enough that they cut up your driver's license, take away your cards, and pull the phone out of the wall. It doesn't look like that. It looks like a person a person that's a healthy relationship that communicates, that accepts all of you, all of your faults, all the good, all the bad. They laugh with you, not at you. They believe in you and they cheer on your dreams. They encourage you to follow your dreams. That wasn't what I was living. And I knew there had to be something more. So I did find that with Mr. Awesome. And how did Mr. Awesome get his name? Again, his name is Terry. I was going through my Lyme journey. When you are going through an abusive situation, toxic, even when you're growing up, you might discover or you might realize you have a lot of health issues. Oh, I had them. I had a lot of health issues. Didn't realize I had contracted my first time Lyme disease at that time. I didn't learn it until many years later that I had Lyme all those years, um, but also the stress from the abuse too. Abuse, that living in that high stress was so taxing on my system. Again, my hair was falling out. I had problems sleeping, constipation. I was nervous. But again, on top of that, then the first time I was infected with Lyme, I had a bunch of other issues. And uh, so learning how to recognize triggers and learning those health issues and how they all play about and getting myself healing. And once you leave a relationship, let's say you're gone for six months or a year, many of your health issues might go away. I know it sounds like magic, right? You, you probably could be like, no, I had a friend that was in a toxic relationship. She had epilepsy for most of her life that really heightened during that time of that relationship with her, her abuser. Once she left a couple years later, it might've been a year or two later, she was finally able to drive. She hadn't been able to drive before. 
because her epilepsy was at such a extreme time. It was all, you know, always, you just didn't know when she was going to have an episode. So she was finally able to get the all clear because she hadn't had an episode after leaving her abuser and starting the healing process. She was able to finally drive. I'm so proud of her for that. So things can happen. You can start to feel better after you leave. Okay. But you have to take care of yourself again, doing the self-care, the self-love work that helps so much. It really does. And that's why I'm always on it. I'm bragging. Yeah, you got a journal. Yeah, you do the affirmations. Yes. Do I do it as much now as I used to? No, I'll be honest with you. I feel like I'm in a place that I don't need to do it every day like I used to. But there are times that I do need to. And I know when I need to do it. And I do. <laughs> so going back again, how did Mr. Awesome find his name? How did he get his name? So we're in the hospital. The last time... Um, one of the, the second time I was exposed to Lyme, I was married to Mr. Awesome, <clears throat> married to Terry. And uh, I was getting to the point where I was walking with a cane. I had to quit my job because I couldn't, I could barely walk. I could barely hold a pencil. He was um, having to dress me. I was, was sleeping all day. I literally was sleeping all day. I didn't know it was Lyme disease at that time. I just knew I was, my health was, was going downhill. I had just had three deaths in the family within a span of a few weeks of each other. And I think that's what compounded it, the stress of still hearing from my ex. And I think that I think all of that just cumulative work stress. I was customer service. People are very passionate about the trash. And all of that together, I was just, again, my adrenals were down. They were, they were, they were just so down. My system just couldn't handle it. It was overloaded. And uh, when I was, when I was, um, exposed to Lyme again. That was it. My body just like, okay, you're done. That's it. And, and I just kept spiraling down. So the doctor did after I had to have a spinal in order to find out if I had Lyme. So they did the spinal. They give you a nice relaxant. They give you something to relax you. Well, the nurse heard one dosage when the doctor said another. She actually gave me, and I can hear this clearly in my head. He's like, how much did you give her? And she's like, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no. And then I don't remember anything else. Apparently, I was loving on the nurses. I was trying to give hugs to everybody. <laughs> I was telling everybody I love them. And I don't remember a dang thing. I just, I don't. And Terry, in his awesomeness, decided this is a great opportunity. Remember I told you about mistakes and my failures and, and things that I got going on that you might not know about? Well, he decided I'm going to take a video of this. So he has me on video and I happen to have a migraine. I do deal with chronic migraines, um, but he put me, he has me on video. It's on my Facebook somewhere posted where he's asking how I'm doing. Do I have a headache? And then he's like, well, what's your name? And it's like, my name? I have no idea what my name is. It's hilarious. And I, you could see me thinking, and then I said, awesome. He's like, your name is awesome? Yes, it's awesome. And he said, well, who am I? I said, Mr. Awesome. So that's how Mr. Awesome got his name. <laughs> so for those of you, again, that's how Terry got his name. So telling my story, now telling my story has been from almost day one, been something that God, God has been pressing upon my heart to do. And when I started it, I did start it in order just to get my anger out, to get my feelings out. And I started it on blog, on MySpace. Yeah, MySpace. I started it out on the blog. From there, 
I decided to go to, um, oh God, where am I at now? I'm a blogger. I'm still there. I just haven't updated it in probably about a year. I'm on blogger. I started there next. From there, um, I started to get people, even from the MySpace, I started people reach out to me and share their stories. Again, I didn't feel worthy. I literally would feel and, and hear, it's a very weird thing to hear God tell me, this is what you need to do. And I kept running from it. Like, no, I'm sorry. This is just too weird. I'm not going to do this. Am I really hearing this? Am I the one that's crazy? Maybe I do need a psychic bell. And it kept coming time and time again. I'd be in the middle of a grocery store or a store, wherever I was, and someone would tell me, stranger, tell me their story. Yeah, I'd say good morning to them. And all of a sudden, I know their life story. And many of the times, at least 95% of the times, it was an abuse situation, toxic person, whether they are with a toxic parent and they're in their 60s, or they are somebody that is in a, a marriage that's toxic and they don't know how to leave. And I, you know, finally I told God, I said, you know what, I get, I get the picture. Okay, this isn't not about me. This is bigger than me. I need to get out of my head, get out of my ego. This is not about me. This is to listen to hold space for somebody else, but also to do it for your glory. I'm telling people my faith story as I'm going along because that was such a crucial a crucial time in my in my life where I could have turned my back on God and told you know, just like, well, what have you done? Look what all I've went through or what my children have went through. Where were you? God was with me. He was with me. I know he was. So telling my story has been one of faith. It's been one of, um, of stepping out into my faith to do. And also to hold space for anybody. And this could be whether you are somebody that doesn't believe in God, you're an atheist, it could be somebody that's a Wiccan, it could be somebody that is, um, I've had uh, people that are um, of other sexual orientations, I'm supposed to, and I even had, an, not an argument, but I had a chat with God about this because my beliefs might not coincide or mesh with somebody that's sharing their story with me. Or even, you know, they'll have to comment. It's like, ooh, I don't know if I want to, why do I want to? But God's like, no, you know, he hung out with with the lowest of low. Who am I to go ahead and wag my finger at this person? This person needs to share their story. They need help. They need me not to judge where they're coming from because I've been in their shoes in that abusive situation. And I understand. So that's where I'm coming from. So when I meet with this person, whether it's at coffee, we do coffee dates, or it's on the phone or virtually, I'm coming at a place out of love. I'm not going to judge you. If you need me to hold space for you, I I'm serious. I will go ahead and hold that space for you. So telling my story has been able to, again, share my faith story, open up, hopefully, somebody's disbelief, or maybe they had believed God was one way, hopefully they can let God in. Hopefully they can let, or whatever that faith is for them, they can go back to that faith. For me, it's God, it's Jesus. And and hopefully they can go ahead and get back to a place where they believe again, they can cling on to some faith. Because I think if I didn't have my faith, if I didn't have God in my life, I don't think I'd be here. Honestly, I probably would have taken my life. Or I would be, I would have been somebody that would have gotten into more of that self-soothing, negative self-soothing with drinking and drugs. 
I think with how I got in my life, I probably would have gone down that line. Now I'm not saying anybody that drinks or using those negative behaviors is not a Christian. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that without him, without leaning on him, I probably would have, my life, I wouldn't be here. It would be a different story. It'd be somebody else's, somebody else would be sitting here. It wouldn't be me. So telling my story has been so important. Becoming that advocate, I started looking into being an advocate because I get this question a lot too. How can I help others? Start where you are. I've had a few people say, well, I need to take this course. I see they have it at this university, but it's going to take me like four or six years. I started where I was at. I started taking courses that I found online through the state. I would read books on different subjects on, regarding abuse. I would just kind of did a deep dive into it. But I want to caution you when you are just in the baby stages of leaving that abuser, you can be really just set on fire to help others and to really, you know, put those other people away, change laws and stuff like that. But also it can be very taxing on you and it can be very what we call triggering. Those are things that happened words, they are our sense, they are they are different things that might lock you back into your healing, that you are triggered right into that situation or your past memory and so on. So just be careful. Take some time to yourself when you are doing, when you're holding space for somebody or when you're doing that deep dive into certain subjects, you might need to pause. And I'm going to talk about writing your story too. You may need to step back and pause. Just take a few minutes take a week off, take two weeks off and just, okay, so what is it that made me emotional? When I very first started talking, telling my story, because I have wrote my book, which is not in publication. I do have PDFs somewhere. So if you're interested in the PDF, it's very rough though. The computer, we lost the final publication. So all I have is a really rough draft. Um, but sharing that story. Let's talk about that. I had all these journals. Um, Mr. Awesome and my sisters encouraged me to get them out. That's what started me writing. It took me, I think, what, five years, five, five, three years, three to five years to finally get it to where I would felt comfortable to hit the publish button. I was so scared. What are people going to think? Uh, so hitting that was Hitting that button was very freeing, though, because there was no more secrets. I wasn't hiding anything else anymore. Um, and even sharing my story, I was able to get to a point where there's no more secrets now. Everybody can know. Everybody can know what he did. And he he got mad. He's like, you're writing about us. That everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to think negatively about me. Even though what you're saying is true, I admit, this is him saying these things, I admit that I hit you and I hurt you, but not everyone's going to know. Yeah, that's very telling. It's very, very, um, and then I knew I was on the right path. It's like, okay, this is, there was a few times where I thought, well, am I just, maybe it's not as bad as I think it was, but then that, you know, gave me verification, validation that I'm doing the right thing, that, um, that I'm not... Sometimes you just think that you're making up things. Did that really happen? But no, it's like, okay, okay. So writing my story was probably the most impactful thing that I did. Um, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. But next time, if I were to do it again, I'd find a publisher and so on. I did it self-publishing. 
but doing the advocacy, finding that, like I said, start where you are, read books, listen to podcasts, reach out to other people that have a story to share. Maybe somebody on a podcast is looking for guests that you can be a guest and they're on their show and share your story. And that's where it started for me. Um, and just reading and getting whatever I can at courses under my belt. I became a certified life coach and mindfulness coach and meditation coach and other coaching things. Um, I got certified to do uh, for being a suicide advocate for, I can go on and on, but a lot of these I've been able to find through my state or online at a pretty reasonable cost, really and truly. And that's been able to help me but and reach out to others that have had walked through that, that walked through that experience of sharing their own story, that have walked through having their own podcast. The Light Beamers community is really great if you're looking to start telling your story. Light Beamers community. Um, April is she is the mistress of that group, and she's fabulous, really and truly. And it's a free group. It's on Facebook. If you're looking to start getting out there, your presence, and maybe you're not in an abusive situation, maybe you've dealt with suicide, uh, grief, losing somebody that you love, health challenges, it's, it's still a wonderful community, or maybe you have a business, it's still a wonderful community to, to really dive into. So that's one of my favorites. One of my favorites, Women in Publishing on Facebook, it's a group too, that's another great one if you're looking to write your story, figuring out marketing. I wish I had that group I had found that group before I had published my book and I didn't, but it's a fabulous, really fabulous group on Facebook. Uh, there is the Speakers Lab that my friend had um, told me about, Karen. If you're just getting started speaking, I ask for a free will offering. Now I ask for free will offering if possible. Um, some people get really paid big bucks. Again, this is not for me. This is not for my glory. This is for God's glory. So uh, I just do this for God's glory. Podcasts, I do um, the podcast and so on. Um, I don't charge my guests to come on. So if you're out there and maybe you want to go ahead and share your story for the first time, message me privately and we can talk. I This is where I am now. I'm in a place where I'm happy. I am very happy with my hat, my happily ever after. Is it perfect? No. I got a dollar seven in my checking account right now. <laughs> it's uh, it has its days where it's it's not so pretty, but I'm not in that abusive relationship anymore. I don't have to worry about the the <laughs> eggshells. I don't have to worry about the other shoe dropping. I don't have to worry about some harebrained idea that I'm coming up with and being afraid to tell my partner. I can tell them anything. I don't have to be afraid anymore. I can be confident. The confident woman that I am now, it is, you hear the comment or the quote that I pray for something like I pray for everything that I'm at where I prayed for years ago or something like that. I don't remember. Somebody can let me know what that was exactly, but that's where I'm at. I'm at a place where I love my life. I do. I love getting up. I love my partner. We're together almost 24 seven, except when I go to work. Um, and I love it. 
I didn't have that before. I couldn't wait for my ex to leave. When we were married, I could not wait for him to go. I could not wait for that alarm to go off and where he would be home. I hated coming home to him. It would just feel like a sense of dread, like a, like a stone in my stomach. I hated coming home to him. There was a lot of fear there. I was a lot of uncertainty because I didn't know what I was going to get when I opened up that door or when he came in the door. I never knew what I was going to get. And it was very terrifying and scary. So that life that I have now, it feels like another person that it feels like another woman. It doesn't even feel like I went through that. Even being in the childhood, it just seems so surreal. There's some stuff I forgot because I know our brain does a beautiful job of trying to protect us when we're in that survival mode. So there are some things that I forgot and I still have triggers now. Even 14 years later, there are still things that do pop up from time to time. As you go on this journey, it will lessen those nightmares, those triggers. I, again, I, I told this to maybe about four or five years ago, I mentioned maybe been about six years now, I don't want the bed anymore. I don't have those nightmares. I do have a dream and my ex is on in it. Most of the time I'm telling him off. <laughs> I've gotten to that point where I could tell him off. So I'm going to go on and on, but that's really what was on my heart right now. I think I covered everything. I'm looking at my, at my, um, my list here. I think that's, that's about it. If you have any additional questions for me, please don't hesitate to reach out. Again, each of our stories are different. Do not compare mine to yours because you're like, oh, it's only verbal. I can keep up with this. Or the other thing I hear is I'm just too old to start over. You're never too old. Any abuse, even if it's verbal, emotional, mental, it's still abuse. You do not deserve it. And again, my excuses for saying was the health insurance. I needed health insurance. Oh, I don't want him to be alone. Maybe he'll change if we get more money. I did the coulda, woulda, shouldas. I can't fix him. I still can't fix him. He's this person. I thought, well, maybe if we get him on his meds, different meds, maybe if we go to counseling. This person has to be fixed by themselves. I cannot fix them. You cannot fix that person. You can't. You can't. They have to want to, and let's say they, okay, let's go, okay, one more thing before I go. Let's say that you decide to stay a little longer and they promise to change. Well, how about you separate just temporarily? Make sure they're going through that change. Make sure they're talking the talk and walking the walk. Date them. Don't have sex. Date them. Okay, let them take you physically out on a date, not to their house, because things can go you know, sideways, meet them there. So you're not having them pick you up. So you're not making yourself vulnerable in a car, meet them there, take an Uber and take an Uber home. Don't let them take you home. Let them date you. Let them woo you six months, a year, maybe two to see how they are in their healing. See what the kids say. Do the kids notice a change? Now I'm not saying it's been a month and the kids are like, oh yeah, dad's changed. Mom's changed. Give it time. We can easily slide back. And this is what happened when I went back those two times. We would slide right back in. We'd be okay for a month. And then we were right back to where we were. All over again. We were right back. It was like I never left. Like nothing ever changed. And it's like, whoa, what happened? It was like nothing was different again. So please consider dating this person or just watching from afar. 
see what they do. How do they react? And if you're looking to date somebody, how do they react in traffic? How does this person react when you have a waiter or waitress? How are they in public? How are they treating your kids? How are they treating animals? Do they allow you to see their family and friends? Are they telling them about you? What are the family and friends' reactions to you? Now, my reaction from my his sisters were, they told me the truth, honestly, up front, right in the beginning. Of course, he had the excuse of, oh, well, they're just jealous and, you know, I'm the baby and so on and so on. But how are they? Look for those, they call them red flags. Look for those red flags. And if you need to know what those are, message me privately. Okay, so I'm going to get off here. I think I've been on almost an hour. I'm sorry, I don't have my glasses on. I hope you have a great rest of your day. I hope you found some value in this. I'm going to upload this to the podcast in just a little while. Thank you for tuning in and listening to me. This gave you a little more insight and a little more information about my story. Again, pick my brain. That's what I'm here for. Have a great rest of your day. God bless. And please stay safe. Thank you for watching.